0: value of investments and the income from them may go down as well as up, and investors may not get back the amounts originally invested. Past performance is not a guide to future performance. The information is not an offer, solicitation or recommendation of any funds, services or products, or to adopt any investment strategy.
1: Welcome to The Investor Download, the podcast about the themes driving markets and the economy now and in the future. I'm your host, David Brett. In late 2021, UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson and Chancellor Rishi Sunak issued a rallying call to pension funds to plough more retirement savers cash into UK assets to spark an investment big bang to support the economic recovery. The language used echoed the Big Bang of the 1980s in the City of London, when a wave of deregulation led to the creation of the modern financial services industry.
2: Work is continuing tonight to build a power station on the roof of the London Stock Exchange. It's all part of the preparations for what the city are calling the Big Bang. As well
1: as the confusion Big Bang is likely to bring, there's a new breed of investor, the man in the street. Indeed, now one can simply buy shares over the counter of a shop or bank. Oh, I wanted to know whether you could get me some shares in United Biscuits. No, the I UK government's the vision is to get more investment into assets and projects that carry longer term payback, such as infrastructure, which includes bridges, roads, and wind farms. In reality, that means investing in riskier so called private assets, which are assets not listed on an exchange. Like the FTSE or the S&P 500.
0: Most people have exposure to private assets through ownership of a house.
1: That's Tim Ball, Head of Product Management at Schroder's. In the US and the UK, more than 60% of us already have experience of investing in a form of private asset. We've covered private equity and debt investing in depth in episode 112, so please take a listen. We'll provide a link in the show notes as well. But here's a brief history, it's been around for a very long time. It can be traced back nearly 150 years, but the origins of modern private equity began in 1958 when the Small Business Investment Act was passed in the US. As the decades went on, restrictions steadily relaxed, providing dramatic growth in private markets. By 2019, the private asset market was huge, with private offerings accounting for approximately 70% of new capital raised, according to the Securities and Exchange Commission in the US. The attraction?
0: So for me, diversification is probably one of the biggest, the biggest attractions.
1: Diversification, so in other words, the ability to invest in different things. So hopefully there's more opportunities.
0: What you can get through investing in private assets is exposure to all parts of the economy, often which are not represented on a stock exchange.
1: According to Schroeder's research, just 10% of private companies end up on a listed exchange. So
0: if we think about some of the major indices uh, that many of us will, will have heard in, in the news, such as the FTSE 100 or the S&P 500, most of the companies that are listed um, in those indices, but also on the exchanges, are typically at larger companies, um, very established and often mature companies. Um, and, and obviously, that's, that represents you know a big part of the economy, but not all of the economy. And therefore, the benefit of private assets is that it allows you to invest in parts of the economy um, which you want to get exposure to, but you wouldn't be able to through investing via a stock exchange or, or via listed assets.
1: So not only the businesses working on building bridges and roads, but other areas of the economy, too, such as digital infrastructure, biopharma and tech, to name but a few.
0: So it's really it's about getting access to some of the the very kind of the front end of the innovation um, that happens, especially with some of the uh, the new companies that are being started up now.
1: U.S. startups in 2021 raised three hundred and thirty billion dollars. Nearly double 2020's record haul of $167 billion, according to PitchBook, which tracks private financing. That it wasn't so long ago, a company like Amazon was a startup, too.
2: Amazon has beat out Microsoft as America's most valuable publicly traded company. Amazon's shares.
1: But it's not just about investing in potentially multi billion dollar businesses at an early stage. Private assets could also offer more stable pricing.
0: And there's, there's less volatility that you get with these assets, so you're not worry worrying about what the day-to-day price movement is.
1: Because private assets aren't listed on exchanges and don't issue shares that are freely tradable on the stock market, they're less susceptible to the whims of investors on a daily basis.
0: And that's quite important, especially for those institutions that, that have to plan for the long term.
1: So think pension funds, for instance, the type of institutions that the British government was trying to encourage to invest in private assets. However, that price stability and lower volatility comes at a cost. One is difficulty in evaluating a private asset. It takes a certain type of investor with a special skill set to value a business where accounts and statements are hard to come by. It means investors have to get to know the management properly and understand what the business is trying to achieve and how it plans to go about it, which can lead to awkward conversations. Another is liquidity or investors' ability to cash in on their investments at short notice.
0: Investors have to be very clear as to what it is, what objective it is they're looking to fulfill by investing in private assets. Um, If they have any concerns around or any needs they think they might have in, in terms of wanting to be able to sell that asset in a short period, or, or, or they have kind of uncertain sort of um, outlooks for, the, for, for, for you know, within the next kind of one to two years, then I would recommend that private assets aren't necessarily the best the best uh, way of investing because of that uncertainty in the timing it often takes in order to be able to sell a private assets.
1: Demand for private assets is strong. Part of the reason is the financial climate where we've had an extended period of low growth and low returns.
0: Interest rates are predicted to be slashed to a record low today. Reserve Bank has cut the cash rate to 1.5%, which is a record low.
2: Just when you think we can't go any lower, 2.87% on the 30-year fixed, according to Mortgage News Daily.
1: So investors have looked at more riskier areas of the markets, such as private assets, for higher returns. And the push towards them, encouraged by the likes of the British government, has put pressure on more traditional public traded markets.
2: Over the last few decades, both the US and the UK have seen a decline in the number of companies listing on the stock market. That's Suzo
1: Ekwe, a UK public equity small and mid-cap analyst. Data from McKinsey shows the number of public companies listed in the United States, for instance, dropped from about 5,500 in the year 2000 to about
2: 4,000 in 2020. And in part, that's due to companies staying private for much longer. And then in addition, you've seen, you know, um, an era of cheap money, and that's obviously seen private equity funds sweep listed companies from the stock market and take them private. And that's essentially led to this um, de-equitisation of the public markets. So yes, clearly private markets have threatened the growth of the public markets.
1: So with public markets under pressure and policymakers openly pushing for more private investment, we're going to look at whether public and private investing can happily coexist and what the future may hold. But in the first part of the show, we're going to find out why investors have preferred public markets for so long. And now, what's driving the demand for private assets? On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, you're listening to The Investor Download. For centuries, the stock market has proved a natural place where buyers and sellers can be matched with relative ease. It's a place where prices are transparent and listed companies required to meet certain accounting standards have credibility.
0: H- Historically, I mean, it's been obviously- easier to access private investments, sorry, easier to access investments via the listed uh, stock market. I mean, if you think about how the stock market evolved over the many hundreds of years, um, companies often once they get to even a medium size, often exhausted the forms of private capital that were available then. And so being listed in the stock market was the next source of capital that they had to go to in order to be able to kind of continue their, their growth.
1: The ease of access means that many investors from big institutions to individual investors have chosen to put much of their wealth in the stock market. For instance, around 80% of UK defined contribution pension funds, so that's mainly where you and I put our money through workplace pensions, invest mostly in listed securities. However, that represents only 20% of UK assets,
0: but that really has changed quite significantly. And as what we've seen across many of the investors that invest with in Um they've been increasing their allocation to private assets as they recognise that the, the listed equities has, has provided kind of less choice um, for for investment purposes, and they can get you know they can get better diversification, and often historically they've been able to get better returns from investing in in private private assets.
1: Private assets under management grew to an all-time high of $9.8 trillion as of July 2021. That's up from 7.4 trillion the year before, according to research firm McKinsey.
0: I mean, that's changed quite a lot in the last 20, 30 years. as the growth of private equity investing or private private assets has, has developed. And so you've had um, managers, investment managers that have been able to set up funds, raising large amounts of capital from institutional investors that have been able to provide that capital to companies that are looking to continue to that growth. I think when you think about overall sort of portfolios, what we have seen is an increase from really the low single digit percentages of a portfolio for institutional investors now to well into the teens and in some cases kind of you know, 20% or, or even above.
1: But another major reason is that private assets have provided higher returns. For instance, the US private equity index provided by Cambridge Associates shows that private equity produced average annual returns of 10.5% over the 20-year period to June 30th, 2020, during that same time frame, the U.S. S&P 500 returned just 5.9 percent,
0: um, and that has been especially important with the, the, the low yield or the low return environment that we've been in for the last 10 to 15 years.
1: Another reason is accessibility.
0: I mean, there are more more funds, more more managers that are that are operating in private assets. So for institutional investors you know it's become less of a sort of an exclusive club because more of them are able to access private equity investing as more managers um, offer offer funds that that allow them to so it, it like i say i think there's been a huge we talk about democratization of private assets often when we talk about it from a retailer, retail investor point of view but the same is also been the case for institutional investors you know 10 20 years ago where there's been this big opening up of, 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 of private assets for institutional investors so even some of the smaller pension funds are now allocating to private assets because they have better means better access to do so than they did say you know 20 20 years ago
1: demand for private assets has also been aided by recent developments in financial markets oh uh, uh, we classify
0: into three types of, 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 of developments that have taken place. One is product innovation. So the, the, the means by which investors can access private assets, there's been a huge amount of development and innovation in that. So investors can access private assets through semi-liquid funds. So they're getting a little bit more flexibility than was than was the case sort of five, ten years ago. So these, these funds often have maybe quarterly redemption. So investors can can invest with the benefit of knowing that if they really need the money, they're able to exit it within a sort of three to six month period. The other aspect as well is the technology, and that's really been also a big key part in providing access for investors. And we all were probably very familiar with some of the things that we've seen um, in, in the financial press such as whether it's crowdfunding or whether it's um, peer-to-peer lending you know over the telephone all of these are developments which five years ago didn't exist and has have allowed people to start and accessing private companies or providing private private debt on a platform which um, has made it much more accessible and then the final the, the kind of the final piece i think which has also changed is regulation and the regulators have been um, They're varied in terms of the speed of of their development, but I think overall there is a general recognition that um, private assets is an area which should be opened up to private investors. It shouldn't just be kind of kept as a preserve to institutional investors only. So regulators are recognising they have to also think about how they open up um, private assets, but also in in a regulated way.
1: But if the industry is beginning to shift towards allowing more investment in private assets and there are potentially strong benefits in investing in private assets, where does that leave investment in public markets? That's what we'll discuss in part two of the show.
0: Get in touch with us by email at Podcasts at shoders.com or visit our website
1: shoulders.com forward slash investor download. Despite all the talk of growing interest in private assets, the size of the freely tradable public market still engulfs that of private investment. For instance, the total value of global equity trading worldwide was $41.8 trillion in the third quarter of 2021 alone. It's a huge market and it's still the traditional way for investors to buy shares of companies they believe in and with plenty of advantages.
2: So real-time price discovery um is one advantage. Um, another is better liquidity. So, um, as I mentioned, the stock market is ultimately a freely tradable secondary market. Um, for investors such as myself, an investment in the public markets means that companies are basically able to operate in a very disciplined environment. So, they've got scrutiny from other investors as well as um, from the regulators as well. So, Corporate governance failings um, aren't rewarded kindly by the equity market. And it can be quite difficult to regain the market's credibility, which can be then um, seen in a um, falling share price for quite some time.
1: Yeah, as we know, barely 10% of companies end up listing on public markets, which begs the question, why?
2: So there might be... um, quite a number of reasons. So, for example, it could be too early in their company's growth stage um, to handle the scrutiny and the rigors um, of reporting. So, the company might prefer just to sell to a private equity fund instead. Um, other times, companies run a dual track process where they simultaneously see um, public and private investors and ultimately they just choose the exit route where they can get the best price.
1: Listing on exchanges requires companies to jump through many more regulatory hoops than they would have to if they were to remain private. Listing requirements vary by exchange but range from requiring a sponsor to help a company list, a trading history that stretches back years... To a minimum stockholders' equity, share price and number of shareholders. And those regulatory hurdles provide listed companies with a certain amount of credibility, which should, in theory, attract more investment and provide a level of certainty and guarantee for investors. But that level of integrity and safety at the moment isn't there with private investment which means up until recently, private investment has only been available to relatively few investors.
2: So current regulation has it that only really professional investors can usually invest in private equity and therefore not retail investors. And so traditionally, you'd have to be committed to tying up your capital for a long period of time. So it can be five years, you know, 10 years. But by democratising access to private assets and by creating various liquid and semi-liquid structures, then retail investors can get involved as well.
1: The democratisation of private assets potentially opens up big opportunities for investors. So in the final part of the show, we'll look at what the future may hold and the benefits of combining a public and private investment approach. As we've heard, there are potential risks and reward in private investing but tim says the rules for investing whether it be public or private remain the same
0: firstly i mean i think the manager is 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 very important i mean the investor has to have full confidence in the team that is doing the investing for them now that applies whether it's public or private um so i think you know the, the same rules apply for all all you know all investors and all managers in that sense i think you know the the concern around the trading history of the companies that they're investing in um is Perhaps kind of of less sort of less of a, of a concern to investors because that's ultimately what they're paying us to do—to to review the companies that we're investing in, do the due diligence, and make sure they're good investments. So I think you know in terms of democratization of private assets it does open up new opportunities. It does give more choice to investors, and that's where I think it's especially interesting for you know a, a great number of investors. Um, but. As with all of these things, investors have to be very clear on what it is they're looking to achieve and what their objectives are and, and and if, if relevant, also seek appropriate advice in terms of how they should be investing.
1: With the private assets market opening up, the opportunity for investors to mix public and private investments will become more common. But what are the advantages of combining the two?
2: We think that the core advantage is this centralised point of governance where you have a singular investment team looking at all aspects of portfolio construction with a real consistency across the board and with the advantage of being able to achieve optimal sector diversification, for instance. And you just wouldn't get this if you invested in a separate public fund and a separate private equity portfolio with two different portfolio managers. The other thing is that investing if investing in the company as part of its private funding round, and then holding on to that company beyond the IPO could generate better portfolio returns than if you just um, um, invested in the company at the IPO stage. Um, so all else being equal, we think that um, a higher valuation can be achieved by investing in the company earlier. And then in addition, the integrated approach means that the investment team is able to gain a wider perspective of a particular sector, for example, particularly as private companies tend to provide greater disclosures. And so, ultimately, it should actually turn you into a much better investor. And then I'd also say that um, a combined public-private Strategy also provides investors with a competitive edge because the opportunity set and the universe is expanded, and the best investment might actually be an unlisted company rather than um, a company that's public, and vice versa. So, oftentimes, um, I see um, a lot of benchmark hugging happening in the public markets, and so public equity investors are forced to make decisions based upon the weight of a company in an index, but not necessarily because that is the best company that will generate the best total return throughout the cycle. And then finally getting to know a company several years before it can eventually IPO can also give public market investors a competitive edge given that limited information is provided at the time of IPO and not having enough information is usually the most common reason that we find the public um, equity investors choose not to participate in IPOs in the first place. And what does the future hold?
0: Now, I think the future looks is very exciting. I mean, I think um, investors are going to benefit from a lot more choice, um, better access. I mean, they're able now to, to access different asset classes, public and private and through a range of product structures, which didn't really exist five to 10 years ago. So, you know, I think it in that sense. I mean, I think there's this you know, investors can really decide as to how they how best they invest their money. Um, You know, strategies which combine public and private strategies which are just kind of uh, built around a particular sort of investment strategy, whether that be something like the circular economy or whether that be sort of some sort of innovation um, or healthcare type topic. You know, these are these are choices which I think investors didn't really have the benefit from sort of five to ten years ago. I think the other aspect as well is that investors will have a lot more information about how they're investing and what they're investing in and how it's performing. And that's especially important when we think about some of the non-financial measures such as ESG. Um, that is increasingly important to a number of investors. Um, and of course, I mean, with all of this, you have to be able to, you have to be able to kind of demonstrate that the companies that, that are being invested in are fulfilling those ESG um, objectives, which, you know, which, which were kind of identified by the, by the investment strategy of the fund. And so all of this is, is providing, generating more information for investors to be able to make that choice. I mean, we're not saying that investors should go, should go one way or the other, you know, shouldn't be public or private, but we think, you know, a balanced portfolio diversified across listed and, and, and unlisted or public and private what is what we believe is to really be appropriate for, for most investors.
1: Which will be music to the ears of Boris Johnson and Rishi Sunak. Here's what else investors are talking about. Although residential property can be a sound investment, it's also one of life's essentials. Everyone needs somewhere to live. It's the basic human necessity. That is the reason why housing is included as one of the three largest components of the US Consumer Price Index. And according to fund manager Tom Walker, real estate assets can generate significant returns for investors, with cash flows keeping up with, and in some cases exceeding, inflation levels. You can read Tom's article, Safe as Houses, the Inflation Busting Benefits of Investing in Property, at schroders.com forward slash insights, where you can read, watch and listen to much, much more. Well, that was the show. We very much hope you enjoyed it. If you want to find out more, check out our website, schroders.com forward slash the investor download. You can also get in contact with us about anything in the show or ideas for future shows at Podcast at schroders.com. Please remember to subscribe to us at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a review. We're now doing one show a week, which will be available every Thursday from 5pm UK time. Thanks very much for listening, but above all, keep safe and go well.